books and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. When Carrie and I began recording The Perks of Being a Book Lover, we called it our half-assed idea. One year later, we're still half-assing our way through it, although we think we've learned some things and gotten more adept at using microphones, troubleshooting the recording technology, and asking interesting questions of our guests. It was a year filled with laughter, frustration, and climbing learning curves. We thought it would be fun for our one-year anniversary recording and 47th episode to put ourselves in the hot seat, and fortunately, Carrie's daughter, Nora, agreed to ask us the questions— Like a lot of 16-year-olds, she was excited to do it the night before, but seemed to be completely bored and uninterested during the actual interview. She yawned and Pinterested her way through our answers, which may be what a lot of our listeners do as well as they listen to it. In this episode, we discuss how we started the show, some of our favorite experiences with guests, and what dictatorial book choices we'd make if we had the power. Hi, Amy. Hi. So you know what, Amy? You know this. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary of doing this this podcast. I guess. It was right before Memorial Day. Yeah. Let's do something a little bit different. Okay. I'm all for it. All right. Well, it involves a a teenager, somebody I know pretty well. (laughs) I want to hear all about it. (laughs) All right. So, Nora, you there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That is such a 16-year-old answer. So Nora has agreed to interview us for this anniversary episode so that anybody who listens to us and actually cares can uh, find out how we got this thing going. So this is going to be a little bit different episode, same structure, but anybody who sticks around for the whole thing will get a prize. We'll have to figure something out. Well, Nora, I'm super excited that you're going to interview us. I've been waiting for somebody to want to interview me, and I finally found a person, Nora. (laughs) Well, I mean, she was very excited to do it last night, but I think she's reconsidering now. (laughs) How was the perks of being a book lover born? What inspired it, and what was your process for launching it? Well, it started because I, I don't know, maybe three years ago, I cornered your mother at a restaurant get together that we were having with some people in our book club. And I said, Hey, I have this really great idea. We need to start a podcast. She said, Oh, (laughs) that was about as excited as she sounded. She was very nice, but it was very noncommittal. And then I don't know, over those couple of years, I would mention it every now and then. And one day she said, do you still want to do that thing? And I said, yeah, I would. But I always wanted to do it with your mother and waited and waited because she was the person I wanted to do it with. So I don't actually remember when you first asked me, but I sort of remember you bringing it up. And at the time I was trying to finish up 
some graduate classes and, and I was subbing. And what made me decide to do it is that I did a long-term sub job actually at Nora's high school and I loved it, but it made me remember just how time consuming teaching English is. And so I had decided I was so tired after doing that. I was like, I am just going to do something for me that's purely fun. And I said, okay, Amy, let's do it. Once I agreed, then we started the whole six month process of figuring out what we were going to do. Right. Had you ever listened to a podcast before when I started talking to you about it? No. Yeah. I was a huge podcast listener. I had you listen to some podcasts so you get an idea of what it is, because I think a lot of people don't really know what they are still, you know. And I should say, I mean, I really don't listen to podcasts. I mean, I listen to hours just for quality control before it airs. So I have to say that, Amy, you have been the visionary behind this whole thing. I always tell Amy, I'm just along for the ride. But for six months, we just researched and talked a lot and bought microphones and read articles about how to do it. And we met actually with one of our guests, Mick Sullivan from the Fraser History Museum, had done a workshop at the Louisville Free Public Library's How-To Festival the previous May. And I emailed him and said, hey, you know, my friend and I are interested in doing a podcast. Would you be willing to meet us for coffee and give us some tips? And so he was gracious enough to do that. And so that was really what got us going. But we would be remiss, Amy, if we didn't mention the podcasting conference that we went to last May. (laughs) Yes, we drove to Nashville to go to a podcasting conference and we hadn't actually taped an episode yet. We had done lots of practice episodes. And when we got there, it was the whole situation, it was a little bit of a bait and switch because they charged this one amount And when you got there to register, they said, well, that's only for these two keynote speeches. If you want to go to the the workshops, it's an extra hundred bucks a person. (laughs) We'd driven there. So we shelled out another $200, (laughs) out another $200 and went to all of these small sessions, which were useful. Although I went to one on how to edit, and this is before I actually knew how to edit. And my notes looking back are so funny. Make sure the thingy is turned up and (laughs) (laughs) things like that. It's a good thing that I have moved past that level of skill now. We we did have to hire two teenagers to help us out with how to record using GarageBand. And then another teenager we had to hire to help us get our website up. So you know, I think we shelled out about 40 bucks total for that. But the funniest thing, I'll never forget how many times we tried watching YouTube videos and yes. had to rewind and rewind and rewind and rewind. So those are the memories that stick out to me. The other thing we haven't mentioned is us joining a local radio station here in Louisville, Kentucky called Forward Radio. We had done the podcasting conference in Nashville. And I think we got some valuable things from that. But the Louisville Free Public Library hosts this how-to festival, and it's totally free. So last May, they were having another how-to festival, and they were going to have another podcast workshop, except this time it was it was going to be done by somebody different. I guess each year they kind of change things up. So 
I said to Amy, I'm like, why don't we go? And you were kind of like, ah, do we really need to? And I said, it's free. It's an hour. It's free. And, and if we're not getting anything out of it, you know, we can leave early. So we went and members of Forward Radio were actually leading the workshop. So that's how we met them. And they were like, hey, we're looking for new programmers. And we said, we have a logo. We have a name. We know what we're, we want to do. We just... We just need a little help with the technology piece. And so they helped us out and we had to do like, I think, four pilot episodes and and here we are. Right. So for those who only listen to us in podcast form, this is broadcast as a radio show on this community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky as an hour long show. And doing the hour long radio show also helped us form what we were going to do with the show because we needed to be able to fill 58 minutes. We had to expand what we were doing. And I think that was really helpful. What were the challenges of starting a podcast? What did you learn about podcasting from this experience? So I would say neither one of us are super technologically savvy. Although I think you probably are more than me, Carrie. Not by much. I don't think, I don't think of myself as being savvy, but I know how to use a lot of, you know, Google docs, Google forms. I had already used Google sites. So some of those things, but as far as like audio recording things, that's not in my wheelhouse. So I think the main challenge was technological and also mental because we had to get past worrying that we were going to mess things up. I think in the beginning, actually trying to record and then edit things, we were paralyzed by worrying that we were going to completely mess it up beyond being able to fix it. And once we had the teenagers come and show us and they were like, oh, well, I'm not quite sure how to do it either, but let's try this. And I'm like, oh no, that didn't work. So we'll just undo that. And once we figured out that it wasn't quite as fragile a process as we thought it was, then things went much better. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And then I I think we're, we're not spring chickens. We're in our forties. And so trying something new that was totally foreign to us was both scary, but also exhilarating. I mean, I think it's been kind of fun to learn something totally new. And I I feel like the experience with the pandemic, we had been interviewing people in person for nine months. And then when the pandemic happened, we had no choice but to go, okay, we have to do remote recording. And so I think that having the experience of trying things, messing up, realizing that you just read and you figure out and you find people to ask questions. We were able, I think, to pivot pretty quickly just because of having those nine months of tinkering and figuring things out and screwing up. And I feel like it's a good lesson just for anybody, you know, no matter what your age, you just have to figure things out and you'll mess up and do stupid stuff. And so you ask questions. Well, and one of our former guests, Diane New, when we interviewed her, said it was sort of like the ultimate DIY project. You know, I think that's a great way to look at it. It was our DIY project. Instead of building a deck on the back of our house or learning how to do plumbing, we just decided we were going to learn how to record and edit a podcast. I have found it really rewarding, not just the talking about books, but I've realized that I love editing. I never would have thought that I do. 
Because that was the thing that intimidated me the most in the beginning. So when we're talking about challenges, that was definitely a challenge. But once I sort of conquered it, then I embraced it. We haven't talked at all about how podcasts has changed from the way that we first envisioned it. So when I had first pitched this idea to Carrie, it looked a lot different than what it is now. I originally had wanted to do a podcast about book clubs. And my idea was that we would interview a different book club for every episode. Originally, it was going to be from around the country, but we were so intimidated by the technology at that point, even just doing a basic recording, that the idea of using something like what we're doing now with Zencaster blew our minds. We, mm-hmm. It was too much. So we decided just to do local. Well, I think soon after we did a couple of episodes, it occurred to us that this wasn't exactly what we wanted it to be. And we wanted to broaden our focus a bit. And that's where we came up with the idea of reading being a social experience and any way that you could share reading, we wanted to talk to those people. What did you want the perks to do for you? What did you hope to achieve? Uh, I don't really know why I wanted to do a podcast, except for that I listened to them and I thought it was an interesting medium and it seemed like something that anybody could do if they learned how to do it. And I have always loved books. I like talking about books and I've been in lots of different book clubs. And I don't know, I guess I was just looking for a vehicle to do some things with books, talk about books that I could have some creative license with. I just needed a creative outlet basically, and thought this might be a fun thing to do. And I guess I was just hoping to achieve talking to more people about more books. What about you, Carrie? What were you looking for when you went into it with me? Uh, Mostly just to get you off my back about asking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. You know, it's kind of like, hey, let's do this. I don't know that I had when we started any goals or things I wanted to knock off my lifetime achievement list. But I do feel like all the different things I do, because I freelance write and I teach, podcasting for me, even though I wasn't expecting this, it is something that has nurtured those other two things. And they have nurtured the podcast or what I bring to the podcast because of my freelance experience and interviewing people that was comfortable for me. But I've still learned things from interviewing people for the podcast that I have then incorporated into my writing and how I interview people for my work. And then with teaching, I've made some great connections through the podcast with people that I've then been able to share with my students. And like, for example, you know, our guest from Young Authors Greenhouse, uh, Hannah Rose Newhauser, she was talking about doing creative nonfiction with the young writers there. And I thought, oh, you know, I have never really explored that with my students. And so that's something that I'm thinking about now doing next year with my students as, as something that they explore writing. So I feel like all those different things feed each other and make it better. Now, I feel like that's something that I'm constantly striving to do is have each different component of what I do nourish the other components. But I didn't go into it thinking that that was going to 
happen or that that was what I wanted to happen. That's just sort of an unexpected benefit. What have been some of your favorite discussions with guests over the first year of your show and what made these stand out? We've had a lot of really great guests. Yeah, I've really enjoyed every single one we've done. And that's one of the great things about doing the show is that we've met so many cool people that we maybe would never have met otherwise. And all of them have interesting stories. And that's the other thing I love about the show is talking to the guests about what they're with us to talk about, which is usually something to do with reading, but also getting to know them and their little quirks. And so with the top five that you get to know the guests a little better. But what's one of your favorite discussions? Well, I have to say that our discussion with Bellarmine University professor John Blandford sticks out to me mostly because at that point when we interviewed him, (laughs) I was still coming off reading Moby Dick once a year. I don't know why I do this, but I decide, hey, I'm going to read this big honking book that's usually like between 800 and 1,000 pages. And I had decided to read Moby Dick and I finished it, but I didn't love it. And I sort of suffered through it. And so then, you know, after I read it, I think I spent the next nine months complaining about it. But it's interesting because that's one of his favorite books. And so we ended up getting into this discussion on the podcast. So I majored in English in college for my undergrad. And I loved just that intellectual discussion about literature. That's one of the things that I have enjoyed about the podcast is getting my wonkiness, <laughs> that wonky thing satisfied in me. Yeah. So I I really enjoyed talking books with Dr. Blanford. And, you know, he mentioned about Moby Dick, that the whole book is like all the different ways to see a whale. You can look at it from a purely biological, physical angle, and then you can look at it from all these other angles. And that had never occurred to me and still sticks out. And and I still think to myself, not that I'm going to go read Moby Dick again, that's not going to happen. But I think that idea in my head has made me think a little bit differently about reading and about the mindset that I bring to reading. That was a fun one. And also because, you know, you tend to think of college professors as being sort of quiet and staid. And he was just like a bundle of energy. He was a fun personality. That (laughs) is for sure. I'm sure people couldn't tell this on the recording, but when he first came in to record with us and we were doing the mic test, his voice was so quiet. And I thought, oh, he's going to have to get really close to the mic. And then once we started recording, it was like he was a completely different person. <laughs> yeah. Once he got into talking about books. He's so yeah, extremely that... animated. Yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was fun. How about you, Amy? Do you have one or two that stick out yeah, for you? Yeah. I really enjoyed the one we did with Rihanna Nicole. She started a slam poetry competition here in Louisville called Lipstick Wars. And so we had her on last summer and she talked about her journey from going to someone who had never heard slam poetry to then within a couple of years winning a slam poetry contest to then creating her own slam poetry contest. And it has gotten so big that it has now moved. They've done it virtually in New York City. And she's done it in person before COVID came to at least three. I think they did one in Chicago. They've done one in Lexington, Louisville, and I think Memphis maybe, or Nashville. It has turned into this 
huge thing. But her talking about how she went from organization to organization to try to get support for her idea to host this all-female slam poetry competition, I just thought showed a lot of grit. You know, she had an idea and by God, she was going to make that idea happen. And I found Mm -hmm. that inspiring. But I also really enjoyed our interview with Alex Harrow. Yeah, Uh, me too. Yeah, she is the fantasy science fiction writer who lives in Berea, Kentucky. And in fact, her book, 10,000 Doors of January, is currently in the running for the Hugo Award. In fact, people are voting right now on it. And she had a lot of interesting things to say about fantasy literature, about women writing fantasy and science fiction. And it was just a really great conversation. And that one is probably one of my favorites. While y'all are talking, I'm just like on Pinterest, like I'm listening, but I'm not going to stare at my wall the whole time. That's okay. What books did your guests mention that you have since read? What books are still on your TBR? So my TBR has grown exponentially from talking to our guests. There are so many books that I still want to read. Fadia Muhammad, who was our guest, I believe, last summer or maybe in the fall. I think at the time she was reading Whisper Man by Alex North. I have not read it yet, but it is still on my list. I just actually entered a Goodreads giveaway. So maybe I'll get lucky and and that will be delivered to my door. Another one, Alex Harrow had mentioned Gideon the Ninth. That one's by Tamsin Muir. That's on my list. Which is also up for Hugo. But I will say that one of the books that one of our guests mentioned that I have read, and actually it's our book club selection that I picked for May, is Plain Song by Kent Harreff. And Tony Digman from Fraser History Museum had actually mentioned that book. And he said it's one of his favorites. So his mention of that inspired me when I was thinking about what book uh, I had picked that up at a used book sale. And I thought, okay, that's going to be my pick for May. So we're actually going to have our discussion this evening. Mm -hmm. So how about you, Amy? I don't know that I have read any of the specific books that our guests have recommended, although I've definitely put many on my TBR. I will say that our conversation with Minda Honey last summer about Toni Morrison did inspire me for our book club when it was my month, what I did was said, everybody read a Toni Morrison book. So while I did not read the specific books that she talked about the most, which was Song of Solomon and Sula, uh, and Sula mm-hmm. I read one called Tar Baby, but other people in the group read Song of Solomon and Sula. Um, me, I read okay, Sula. Okay, there we go. Yeah. And so that did inspire me. And also, when we talked with Diane New, who has a podcast about revisiting your childhood books that you loved and looking at them again as an adult, inspired me to go back and read a book that I remember loving as a middle schooler, which was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Blue. And rereading it, it made me think about why at that time in my life, I loved that book that much. And I definitely can see some themes in it and see where the 12-year-old me would have been drawn to that. That was an interesting conversation with Diane, but it inspired me to go back and read that book. 
I should mention Sam Miller from Carmichael's. When she was a guest on our show, we talked about Watership Down, which she said was one of her all-time favorite books. I'm actually reading that with my sons right now. I think I'm 300 and some odd pages in. So we're making progress. We're going to find out what happens with Fiverr and Hazel with Ephrafa. So I, I'm down with Watership Down, I guess. With all the bunnies. With all the with bunnies. All the bunnies. You two had been friends long before you started this adventure. What is something that you learned about each other from doing this show? I would say the thing that I learned about Carrie is how much she likes graphic novels. I had no idea that she read and liked that many graphic novels. No joke. I didn't know that. The other thing I learned about her is that if I send her too many texts, it overwhelms her. (laughs) I have a tendency to, if I have an idea for the show or whatever, I just will send it off as a text because if I don't, I will forget. But in the beginning, I think I might have overwhelmed her a bit. Yes, because on my answer to this question, I learned that Amy sends a lot of texts. Is that really what your answer to the question is? No, no. But when you said that, I'm like, well, that's true. I did learn that Amy sends lots of texts. One thing I learned, which I have OCD and now I've chilled out, you know, over the years, I think I'm much less so, but I tend to think of myself as being pretty uptight or I like things to be a certain way. And so what I have realized that I didn't realize is that Amy, you're like that too. And actually... Like, I feel sort of chill about stuff. I have always said that I'm along for the ride. I feel like I contribute, but I feel like you have always been sort of visionary behind this. So that has been a little bit surprising because I don't know that I picked that up just from us getting together or going out to dinner or having book club, that you have this idea and you like things a certain way. Whereas with me, I'm like, oh, it's fine. Oh yeah, it's it's good. But I feel like that's a good balance for us. Yeah. I don't think I'm like that in every aspect of my life, especially like if you'd ask my husband, I'm not particularly organized. I feel like our house is, is cluttered with a lot of things, but I have an idea in my head of what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And I work to get it there. But not in every aspect. Like my laundry, I don't fold laundry very well. It stays in the dryer a very long time. I'm not particularly OCD about lots of things. But I will say, I feel like we have done a pretty good job of dividing up the responsibilities. And I think we complement each other. Mm -hmm. And I like that we both contribute everything. So when we write questions for guests, we share a Google Doc and we each contribute questions or we'll change each other's questions or tweak them or what have you. And when I write intros to the show, I always send it to Carrie first to get her approval that she thinks it's okay. And and sometimes she'll say, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm going to change this part of it, which is completely fine. I want, I mean, I want her to say that. And like I sent her one the other day, I'm like, well, here it is, but it feels pretty clunky to me. And so she she changed things around a little bit, and then I loved it. So I think it's been a great collaboration. Yeah, I do too. Uh, what do you wish you had done differently this past year? Is there anything you won't do related to podcasting? We will never do anything live. No. <laughs> We're not yeah. smooth enough for that. No. You ask any of our guests who've been on. <laughs> yeah. We mess up a lot. We won't ever do live. I yeah. mean, someone would really, really have to twist our arm. Or as like as pay us trillions of dollars or something. Yes. As far as doing something differently, hmm. 
I don't think so. I think one of the things that, and I wouldn't change this, but I think one of the things that has been most valuable to me, I think it's been valuable for both of us, is taking chances. I wouldn't change that. So for example, uh, when we first started doing this, we contacted Kentucky Shakespeare to see if they would be a guest on our show. And I mean, we had barely gotten started. They didn't know this, but we really didn't know what we were doing. And they agreed to be on the show. So Amy Attaway came and recorded with us. And I feel like they gave us a chance. And so because they gave us that chance to talk to them, it gave us confidence. And so then later on, when we wanted to interview Kimmery Martin, we were a little intimidated about, you know, having to go through, you know, an agent in New York and do all that. And what, what did we got to lose? The worst they can say is no. And then we just go to plan B. Well, they said yes. And so we had Kimmery Martin on. So I I don't know that I would change anything because I feel like everything we did had some value. Even if it messed up, we learned from it. One of your episodes was about a movie book club. If you could see any movie turned into a movie or TV show and be exactly the way you wanted, what would it be? I would have to say with this one, I am pretty chill about when books are turned into movies. I don't fall into the camp where they're like, this veered so far from the book that I I hate the movie. And I will give you an example. So one of my favorite books is Jane Eyre. And I love the Orson Welles movie about Jane Eyre, even though, you know, I mean, is it a great adaptation? No, not really. But I still love it. But but I equally love the Jane Eyre adaptation that has Michael Fassbender in it. So I love both of those movies and they could not be more different. I would say I'm usually pretty okay with whatever adaptation filmmakers do. I guess I'm not a strict believer that it has to be exactly the same way. I love the Great Gatsby adaptation with Leonardo DiCaprio and having the Jay-Z music in it. I thought that I was like really that cool. Too. Yeah, so, I like that too. Amy, is there, is there a book in particular that you would love to see? It's so hard because I read so many books and I mean, I'd like to see all of them on the screen. I guess one that I read recently that I loved was The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. That is a classic children's book and I never read it as a kid and we've talked about it on the show and I really enjoyed reading it as an adult. They actually are coming out with a movie adaptation fairly soon where Colin Firth plays the father. Mm. and I'm excited to see it. One thing I would like seeing is, you know, I kind of dig some sci-fi and fantasy, and right now I've only read the first book, uh, the fifth season, but N.K. Jemisin has a trilogy of books, and I read that first book. Those are the books that I really like to see what filmmakers can do bring to life on those, those kind of fantastical or sci-fi books. I think those are the ones that I get most excited about. Again, I don't expect them to necessarily follow the book to the letter, but I think those 
can be really cool. I would love to see the 10,000 doors of January. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with form. that. I, I think there's just some really cool things that, that filmmakers can do. And I think that those fantasy and sci-fi books just lend themselves so well to movie adaptations. Well, you guys were talking about that. I was in my head. I was like, what book would I choose? But I'm looking at my <laughs> shelf and every single book I've read is already like a movie or TV show. I do think that there are more books being made into movies or even if it's not a movie like into these limited series on all yeah. these different channels now you know hulu and netflix and stars and all of those so yeah i mean as i was looking through my list of books i had read in the last couple of years a lot of them already had movies made so i had to you know scratch that one off so i, I don't I even do that on from. purpose i'm just looking at it and it's like just popular books that have yeah. already done it but you've both ramped up your reading as a result of the podcast what character out of any book you've read do you think you're most like and why find me the most screwed up person from a book that we've read and i feel like i'm probably oh, that come person. on oh come <laughs> on uh i don't know that's well i came up with this question and it's really hard it is really hard i will say i feel like my life is too boring to really be any character (laughs) in any of these i mean no one would want to read it because my life is so boring but I, i did give it some thought and i think there are elements of me that are somewhat like the character of marmy not in the little women version but in the geraldine brooks version Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the book march so i think i have a few elements of that my family life is somewhat like an ann tyler novel she writes about very middle class it could be any family i read one recently called a spool of blue thread and you know there were just parts of that that reminded me sort of of our family just in general but then there is a book and it's actually a book of essays by the author anna quinlan is called lots of candles plenty of cake and she's 60 now but it was sort of her reminiscing about what it's like to be a middle-aged woman and even though she's half of a generation older than us I just felt like I could really relate to a lot of the things that she was saying Mm -hmm. so even though that's not really a character that's a book that I remember when I listened to it on audio and like nodding my head and saying yeah yeah that's what it feels like you know Actually, I did just think of a character. The book, The Chaperone by Laura Moriarty. I just finished it. But I felt like in some ways I could relate to the protagonist, Cora Carlyle. The reason being is because in this story, she starts the story and she kind of has certain ideas in her head. And then over the course of the story, she adjusts what she thinks and has some realizations, not only about herself, but about other people. And so in some ways, I feel like that is what has happened to me over my life. And I think to some extent, this is everybody's life that you start out in your 20s and maybe your 30s and you have certain things that you think, you know, this is the way it should be and people should live this way. And you tend to be sort of rigid. And then the older you get, you reconsider and you mellow out and you come to different understandings and, and maybe you're more forgiving and you offer people more grace. So I could relate to that in a lot of ways. I was thinking in my head, I was like, Hmm, what character is mother most like? I have concluded that you're a combination of Dumbledore and 
Molly Weasley from Harry Potter. Okay, well, that's not too bad. Because Dumbledore's, like, wise. Like, people come to him and people trust him. And I've seen that with your students and stuff and with us. But then with Molly Weasley, it's like, you're a mother, but also you yell at your own children but then your children's (laughs) friends you're like oh sweetie we love you and that's how molly weasley is so well at least she didn't say the wicked witch of the west i know it could have been worse i I was thinking of like what are some not like old women but like kind of like adult women characters in harry potter and then umbridge came to my mind i'm like oh no I'm not umbridge no i thought you might say bellatrix lestrange no thanks for that So we're back with our interviewer, Nora, and with Carrie. What are you reading? So (laughs) I just finished The Glass Lake by Maeve Benchy. And one of our guests actually had mentioned this book, Neve Lutz, our resident Irish person, (laughs) who was our guest around St. Patty's Day. She had mentioned this book. Maeve Benchy is an Irish writer. And so I listened to the audiobook. Now, Amy, as you know, I have a bit of a problem <laughs> with choosing books. Well, typically audiobooks, what happens is I forget to look at exactly how many pages or the length of the book. And then I get into it and realize that the book is like a thousand pages and I'm going to be listening to the audiobook for the rest of my life. So I did the same thing. The Glass Lake is like 700 pages. It's a long book, but I finished it and I really enjoyed it. I have to say it is about a girl named Kit. And I don't want to really tell too much about the story. What I will say is that story starts and her mother, Helen, you can tell that she's not very happy. And she's not very happy about her marriage, but there's something going on with her mother. And then her mother disappears and they believe that she has either committed suicide or that she has been in a boating accident in the lake. So this takes place uh, in Ireland at a, a little village town called Loch Glass. And as you read, you find out what actually happens to her mother. And I don't want to tell too much about the book, but I don't know, like the characters are the kind that you sometimes want to strangle them because they do such stupid things, but they're also very relatable. And so I feel like those are the best kinds of characters because if they were just doing stupid stuff, and you didn't feel a connection to them, you you don't care what happens to them, at least if you're me. So I enjoyed it. You know, I was glad when it ended only because it, and and also I'm not driving in my car because of (laughs) social distancing for a 700 page book. I could knock that out pretty quickly, but this one took a while, but it was nice, you know, just hearing the narrator talk, kind of have that Irish lilt uh, yeah. to her voice. So listening to this audiobook forced me to learn crochet so that I would have something to do with my hands while I was listening. So The Glass Lake by Maeve Benchy, but beware, it is long. Well, Nora, why don't you share what you've been reading? Okay, well, I'm almost done with The Hobbit, but... Yay! Yeah, and it's good. I like it. It's just not my favorite. It's I'm like not super into it, like obsessed with it, but 
it's pretty good. I'm just slow at reading, and I've been procrastinating it just because I'm like, whatever. Do you have to read it for school, or you just wanted to try it? No, I just wanted to read it. I feel like Do I'll you... read it later in life and like love it more, but I don't know. Do you like fantasy? Mm-hmm. You do? Okay. So it's think, not that you don't like fantasy. Yeah, I think it's just because, I mean, it's not that hard to understand for me. It's just, well, I'm in the age group for it, but YA fantasy is where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm also listening to Me by Elton John on audiobook. Oh. It's my first audiobook. Oh, it's your mm-hmm. first audiobook. Very yeah. exciting. And it, so is it a memoir? Well, it's his memoir, but it's read by the actor who played him in the movie Rocket Man. So the book is basically the movie with like a bunch more details. So okay. It's really good. And and so you saw Rocket Man. Mm-hmm. So you're enjoying it. Yep. Yeah. Good. Okay. Hey, Nora, tell Amy about your idea for June for the two oh, of us. Yeah. Okay. So I was driving the other day and I brought it up to mother in the car. And I was like, hey, we should trade books like this summer. And like every month you pick out a book that you want me to read and I pick out a book that I want you to read. And so June 1st, we're going to start, we're going to trade books and read them during that month. And then at the end, we'll come back and talk and about talk about it. it. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. I love that idea. So what's going to be the first book you give your mom to read? Well, she had brought up that she wanted to read Howl's Moving Castle by, I don't know who it's by, but uh, that's like a Studio Ghibli movie that we all love. And she said that she wanted to read it and, I ha- and I've read it. So, so yeah. <laughs> and Carrie, what are you going to give Nora to read? <clears throat> Take a guess, Amy. Uh, what book oh. do I love? Do I read every 10 years? You're going to have a read Jane Eyre. I'm going to have a read Jane Eyre. That's right. Okay. Because I read it for the first time when I was 16 and Nora is 16. So, okay. and well, I'm here I- to help her and offer encouragement if she needs it. Okay. <laughs> need it. Well, I have to say I'm very impressed and I'm a little jealous. I, I would love to do that with my daughter, Susie. I don't, think she'll do that she's not a big reader right now i'm hoping she'll come back to it but i don't think i can convince her i had this idea a year or two ago to do a mom daughter book club you know we could ask some of your friends and their moms and she's like mom (laughs) nobody would want to do that (laughs) i'll do it (laughs) maybe i'll have to like go find a girl and adopt her as my daughter to bring Well, and I should say, Amy, you know, this is the plan for June 1st. June 2nd, we might have decided (laughs) that this is not going to work at all. (laughs) And it was it was Nora's idea. So I'm like, I'm game. I'm game. Let's do it. All right. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? So I just finished an audio book that I absolutely loved. So I'm excited to talk about it. This is a book that got a lot of hype last summer. I mean, a lot of hype on Instagram and on social media. The name of the book is called Daisy Jones and the Sex. I think you might like it, Nora. If you liked like that Elton John one, you might like it. Yeah, I've heard of it and I really want to read it. Yes. And they have the audio version through the library. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read the physical book. But I love this audiobook, And part of the reason I loved it is because it's a full cast audio production. It has at least 10 narrators in this book, including some well-known names like Jennifer Beals and Benjamin Bratt. So this is a 
book that is the story of a fictional 1970s rock band that's loosely based on Fleetwood Mac. And it's basically like a documentary transcript. So imagine you're watching a documentary about your favorite band, and this is what it would be like to read that transcript. It's it's an oral history. So someone is interviewing all the members of the band. They're interviewing the audio team. They're interviewing close friends, partners of the band members, the producers, the music critics at the time reporters with Rolling Stone, and all of them are telling you the story of the band and its evolution. And one of the interesting things is sometimes when they're telling the story, different members see the same incident completely differently, which happens in life all the time, right? You might have a different point of view about a disagreement that you have with your mom than your mom has of that same incident. So the two most famous members of this band are Daisy Jones and Billy Dunn. And Daisy Jones is young and beautiful, and she has great innate talent for writing songs and singing, but she's also wild and unpredictable and has a pretty serious drug and alcohol problem. And she's invited into the band after it's already been together for several years, and she's brought in to help them rise to the next level in record sales, from being a band who's just doing well to one that is a blockbuster, a household name, and she's going to help make them famous. And then the other main character is Billy Dunn, who's the leader of the band, The Six. And he's basically a good guy, but he's a bit of a control freak when it comes to the music of the band and likes making most of the decisions musically. And that puts him at odds with many of the other members of the band. He's also handsome and he's a heartthrob, but he also badly wants to be a good father and husband to his family. And when he went on his first tour, he ended up developing a bad alcohol problem, a bad drug problem. He's, you know, he cheated on his wife and then he went to rehab. And so now he's clean and he's trying to redeem himself. So you can see the setup for conflict here. Daisy is doing all the things that Billy once did as far as drug and alcohol problems go. And they have this tension, but they make really good music together. So this book has many of the elements you would expect in a book about rock and roll. It has drugs, sex, alcohol, the way fame is intoxicating and stifling. But I wouldn't say that it's super graphic, but it did give me a new perspective on how much work goes into making an album. The author, she writes all the lyrics to the song that are on this album as well. And she told the New York Times that after finishing the first draft, she realized that she had to write the songs entirely in the voices of the characters. And once I understood that, I was able to tap into their voices and go for it. At the end of the audiobook, they actually have the song version of one of the most famous songs that they talk about through the book, which was pretty interesting. But it was sort of funny. I actually heard this author speak at the Southern Festival of the Book last fall, and she had a really great sense of humor. And she talked about how she had to Google all kinds of things to write this book about (laughs) drug abuse and what it felt like to take certain types of drugs and how she hoped that the intelligence services weren't monitoring her computer browser. But there is supposed to be a limited Amazon series based on the book that's being produced by Reese Witherspoon's production company. Cool. Uh, So I wanted to mention this one on your question about what book would we like to see made into a a movie and this is one of them but I didn't want to mention it then because I hadn't talked about the book yet but this is one of them I'd like to see this made but it's being made so we'll see how they do that's what I read and now I'm all gung-ho on audiobooks again it's sort of like with reading slumps too sometimes right like you go through a few books you're like yeah it was fine and then you find one that blows your mind and then you're like 
oh yeah, I love reading again. And that's the way this was for me as far as audiobooks, because I kind of been in an audiobook slump. Yeah, highly recommend. Nora, I think you'd like it. I hope so. It's very good. <laughs> she sounds so excited. She is. She gets really excited. <laughs> All right. Well, when we come back, Nora is going to ask Amy and I a top three. We are back and Nora is going to ask us a top three. If money were no object, what is the top place you'd choose for your book club to have its annual retreat and how long would you go? So our book club has started doing an annual retreat every fall and we've done it last two years. We got the idea from another book club who was featured on our show way back in the very beginning of when we started the show, The Gamma Girls. They have been doing a retreat for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And so that's where we got the idea. So if money were no object, I might say Napa Valley or Sonoma. And we could go like on wine tastings because we do like wine. (laughs) Although I suppose if it didn't matter where you go, we could go to Tuscany or we could go to Provence or something and drink wine over there. What about you? So I would go to Guernsey Island, which... Oh, um, yeah, 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 that's fun too. Yeah, yeah I like so, that idea. Yeah, we would go there because that was one of the books that our book club read, the Guernsey Potato Peel Society. And we also watched the movie about that. And I just thought, I, I love that book. So that's where I would suggest. And I would suggest that we stay there a week, as long as we have our own separate bedrooms. And I have a place where I can go just sort of be totally by myself. You know, when we've gone on our trips, we're all sort of either sharing beds or sharing rooms. So I think that would be the the thing that makes the difference for me. If I have my own room that I can go to and just decompress or whatever I need to do. I could probably stay a a week. All right. What is the top book you want to read that the other has already read that you now feel like you have to put on the back burner because you don't want to talk about it on the show? I know mine. Carrie and I, when we talk about the books that we're reading, we don't really tell each other what to read or what to talk about, but we do check with each other to see before we do an interview because we don't want to be talking about a book that's too similar. And we also don't want to talk about books that the other one has already talked about on the show. So I think that the book that you have talked about that I want to read, but haven't read yet because I don't want to talk about it since you've already done it is Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Mm -hmm. Ward. I really want to read that one. The other one is American Born Chinese, but that is a graphic novel that you talked about. And I'm not as huge a graphic novel fan as you are. I've sort of discovered it actually over this past year with this show, but that is one that sounded really interesting to me and I'd like to give it a try. The book that that I want to read that you actually let me borrow is The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. And I guess the thing is, like, I think eventually I can and I'll be able to talk about it, but it's just going to have to be a little bit of time. But that's one of the books that I'm really excited to read. And you actually let me borrow it. So it's downstairs in my dining room, just looking at me, staring at me, waiting to be read. By the way, Amy, did you know that there's a movie called The Sisters Brothers? Yes. And it has John C. Riley. Yes. 
plays yeah. one of the brothers. I did know that there was a movie of it. I have not okay, seen that's it. That's cool. That's a great one if you are kind of into more modern westerns. I like that one a lot. I think that Professor Blanford had read it too and liked it. I yes. think that's the episode we talked about it. All right. Last question, Nora. Yes. Best question. All right. If you were a dictator, what are the top three books your citizens would be forced to read? <laughs> this is such an imaginative question, I am Nora. proud of this question. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I do like this question, but I couldn't be a dictator and I don't believe really enforcing anybody read stuff they don't want to read. So that's a hard question to answer just because I want people to read what they want to read to some extent. I'd have to say Jane Eyre. I know I keep hammering away at that, but I truly love that book. I don't know. This is a hard question for me because I teach classics and I love classics, but I also know and understand why classics aren't liked a lot of the time. I get it. Like, even though I love them and I read them, I also know that a lot of times they don't give a voice to the characters that need a voice. So, for example, I love the book To Kill a Mockingbird, but I also totally understand why a lot of people hate that book because it doesn't give Tom Robinson a voice. When I saw this question, I was thinking a a couple different ways. I thought, there's no book that is going to touch every person. There's not a book like that out there. So I was trying to think, well, what books do I think people need to read to expand their points of view? And then I thought, well, if I'm the dictator, I can just make people read whatever I want to read, whatever my favorite book. So anyway, I've thought about this a couple different ways. So I'm, I'm just going to like throw some books out there. One of them, which would be in the camp of, Books that I think would be good for people to read to expand their point of view would be the book The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And this is a young adult book that is a comment on the Black Lives Matter movement. It's from the point of view of a girl who is driving in a car with a friend of hers. They're both Black. And a cop pulls them over and shoots her friend and kills him for something that is inconsequential. So I think that that is a really important book for people, especially white people to read, to see the other side of that issue. So now I'm just going to throw one in there. If I were dictator, they'd have to read just because I loved it so much. (laughs) And that one would be Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. And we read that in book club years ago. That's kind of an old one. I think it's from the 80s maybe and it's also a sort of a modern western and I love that book it's really long though I always thought I didn't like westerns and that was a book that a friend told me I needed to read and so I did and it made me realize that I do like westerns I'm not sure about my third book have you thought of any more Carrie well I'm I'm sitting here looking through my goodreads list and I just can't narrow things down because There's just so many good books. Here's the thing. There's a lot of books that I would recommend to people, but part of what you need to know or what you're going to get out of them comes from the discussion that you have with other people. You know, so if you just tell somebody, read this book, like, for example, White Teeth by Zadie Smith, 
which is it's set in England and it tells the story of basically how England has changed and about what it means to be an immigrant to a country and to try to hang on to what makes you 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 know you you don't want to give up where you came from but you're also expected to assimilate and so I feel like there's a lot of depth to that book but you can't assume that just because there's a lot of meat to that book that everybody's going to get that meat. You know what I mean? And so I feel like if I was a dictator and I was going to say, everybody has to read these books. And I'm also going to say, everybody has to have these discussions (laughs) related to the books in order to get what I would want them to get from it. So, you know, for example, like 1984, that's a book that I think that and Brave New World, those are great books that can potentially give people lots of things to think about. I mean, I am constantly thinking about those when I see people share stuff on Facebook that may or may not be true. I'm constantly in my head referring to those books and things I learned from those books, but I don't know that everybody is going to get that. I I could go down a real rabbit hole with this question. (laughs) Yeah. You're too nice, Mama. I'm too nice. See, see, when I was thinking of this question, I was like, I didn't, I didn't really think about, oh, well, the good messages. Nah, I was just going to force them to read It by Stephen King just because it's so <laughs> big and I just want to torture them. Not because of the story, just because it's so long and I want people to endure that pain. <laughs> oh, but it was, I love that book. That was yeah, so it was good. I just want to force them to like, oh my God, this is so long. Okay, well, if if we're just doing a torture thing, I started uh, listening to Drood, <laughs> the audiobook of Drood, and I finally just gave up because I just couldn't do it. If we're going for the pure torture aspect. There was a book that we had to read, and I don't think I finished it in book club oh. years ago. And I usually finish all the books we read in book club, but it was called do they serve beer in hell? Oh, I finished they, it. Yes. I, you know, th- that's the thing. It's all personal taste. But to me, that one was just so horrible. I couldn't finish it. I don't uh, even remember what it was about. Torture. I think torture if you're a certain kind of reader. I'm sure that it was a popular book among a certain segment. I think it was a much younger 20-something segment, not 40-something-year-old women segment. Oh, it was. I hope they yeah. serve beer in hell by Tucker Max. Yeah, so I guess if we're just going to instill pain on 40-something-year-old women, that would be the one. Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty painful. Yeah. All right, well, Nora, thanks for being our interviewer. You're welcome. (laughs) Yes, we appreciate it. I would gladly do this again. (laughs) Really? Wow, well, we might have you do it again sometime. Maybe your mom will give you some brownie points and let you out of, like, some chores or something. Or maybe not. Or let me out of the house. <laughs> let you out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. 
You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.